Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fan Fuel episode number 19. Today, we'll be talking about stuff that went on this past weekend. On Saturday, we started out in the geographic center of Ohio with the Xfinity uh, cars. And uh, what did you guys think of that crazy race? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I was at the gym for most of it, so I didn't get to see a lot of the beginning of the race, but I did see the part where um, it looked like Cindric kind of had the race in hand. Um, the caution came out. Um, there were three wide in turn one. Another caution came out for a stack up after that. And I had thought the final restart was going to be complete chaos based on how the, the second to last one had went. But surprisingly, Almendinger kind of got a jump and he, he was untouchable after that restart. So that that really surprised me. I was I thought for sure that Ty gave him one more chance out. Yeah, I thought it was a good race. I only saw, I think, the last stage. I picked it up right when AJ got sent to the back um, and made his last little charge to the front. So the whole time I was kind of rooting for him to get back up there. Um, that was a really eventful last few laps um, with those late cautions. Um, it was, I'm not a big Cendric fan, so it was kind of amusing to me to get see him get kind of punted off the track there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but it, it was it was pretty damn good race. And Mid-Ohio never disappoints. Yeah, I'd have to second that. Uh, Mid-Ohio definitely doesn't disappoint. I remember when Justin Marks won that uh, range race a couple years ago. That was pretty cool. Um, they always have some crazy stuff going on. Uh, you you mentioned the restarts. Um, I personally thought there were too many cautions. I'm more of a green flag run kind of guy, especially at road courses. Um, but with those cautions came some really crazy restarts, and there were guys going off the track, whether it was – Harrison Burton or Noah Gregson on the first initial start of the race. Uh, Miguel Paluto got hung out to dry. The Austin Sendrick went spinning there right in the last little section. And I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter, and I wanted to get your guys' feedback because I kind of agree with what a lot of people were saying is, why don't we start these races on the back straightaway like all the other series do? And uh, do you guys think that would help some of these restarts out? You know, that's a good question. I definitely think it would because by the time they get to the start-finish line, they would be spread out a little bit, but I think the one thing they can't prevent is they're still going to race like animals on a restart. As long as they're close to one another, they know that they have to make up as much ground as they can right now. And the wrecks might not happen in turn one anymore or the keyhole anymore, but there might they might just happen in the corner before the start finish line. If that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with Nate. I think moving it around is just going to move where that initial runoff happens. Um, guys are always going to try to dive bomb the first corner on a road course after the finish line. Um, that's just kind of always how it has been. Um, we've seen quite a bit of that at Watkins Glen even. Um, so I, I see where everyone else is coming from, and I do agree that we should be racing with the start-finish line where it is for literally everything else that races there. Uh, I don't know that we cut down the caution. But... Uh, I, I don't know. I'll have to agree with uh, the majority of the – other fans on Twitter on this one. I think having that longer uh, back straightaway gives a lot more room for people to, yes, fan out, but also string out a little bit because if you get a better jump, it's going to cause a lot less chaos in my mind than that very short front shoot that they have there. I mean, it's it's a turn and then a little bit and then a turn again, and that's why I feel like when you had those 40 cars barreling off in there, you saw all those guys getting bunched up and put three wide on the grass. And I feel like it could be mitigated, uh, but I do see where, Hey, we we still have 40 cars barreling down in there. It's kind of inevitable, but Hey, we don't know until we try it, but something 
else that happened, and Colton alluded to this, was A.J. Allmendinger had a penalty and he had to come from the back. And I did want to ask you guys your thoughts on this. So because we have a separate uh, pit road uh, procedure on these races that are standalone, uh, it was a yellow line to a yellow line minimum of 50 seconds in the pits. And so what happened was A.J. spent less than 50 seconds on pit road and he got sent to the to the back uh because of that penalty so i want to ask you guys how does nascar fix that and do you even think this should be a thing even though we have not the quote-unquote official or cup pit crews pitting the xfinity cars at standalone races hmm. i've never really been a huge fan of the minimum pit stop time thing um i get why they're trying to do it i get they're trying to decrease the intensity of a live pit stop and maybe cut costs from there from there forward but if the whole time on pit road is 50 seconds not counting just the stop i don't see how they're going to time that out to perfection as to when they're going to get to this line and start their time clock and then they're going to get to the next line and end the 50 seconds it just seems really difficult to track and if it's an honest mistake i can definitely see why they make that yeah, if they had practice, they could definitely time it out. Um, we see yeah. guys in practice yeah. runs going down, making a stop, and saying, okay, well, this was 50 seconds if we were stopped for 15.1 on the stop itself. And then on the way out, they could tell them, all right, lift up a little bit, you know, whichever they have to do. Um, but I think the, the solution to this is either, A, shorten down the mandatory pit stop time to 40 seconds, um, or just get rid of the mandatory pit stop time, which I think is the better solution, even though they're not having the cut pit crews there. Um, I just think it would be for, you know, a better strategy. Yeah, and um, I would say normally the cream rises to the top anyways, so it doesn't really matter who's pitting. Um, the car, the, the faster drivers are going to end up uh, most likely winning the race, barring some sort of chaos. And I don't know that getting rid of the rule totally is, is kind of fair, since we're doing stage costumes anyways. I, I think it's kind of uh, mitigated it, so... I don't know, uh, maybe a minimum stopped time rather than from yellow line to yellow line. You have to have a minimum of, let's say, 25 seconds in the box. How you get there and how you get out of the pits are already controlled by this pit road speed limit. So I feel like you simplify the whole rule if it's just in that box for your pit stop. You know, I, I feel like there's there's no way you can get that wrong if you just say, all right, A.J. Allmendinger, didn't sit in his pit stall for 25 complete seconds. He's got a penalty. Uh, there's nobody that can really get mad at that because it's a very clear and concise rule. People don't have to practice it, and it would just fix the whole thing. But on Sunday, we saw another race, and this time it was going way over to the West Coast for the Cup guys, and usually Sonoma's the first road course race of the year, but now it's the third uh, because we have seven on schedule now, and uh, it did not uh, disappoint. Maybe it did to a little, a few people, but it was a, a pretty decent race. Um, so what did you guys think overall of the race in general? Yeah, I thought the race was really good, but the only thing that brought it back was the fact that he didn't get a true long run to the finish like he did in most Sonoma races. Um, just when I think the race was starting to get good between Larson and Truex, who seemed to be the two dominant cars, the cautions just started coming out over and over and over and over again, and I kind of just turned the race into a couple – one lap sprints at a time and that really yeah kind of guaranteed the win for larson if you will yeah i agree this was a good race um 
take what I'm about to say in mind with that. I still think this is a great race. Um, however, this race proved to me two things. Um, one is that we don't need stage cautions at road course that killed all the strategy. I used to love watching and see who would try to yeah. cut out a pit stop somewhere during the day. Um, and it just completely went out the window with the stage cautions. Um, and then second is we need local yellows when we're racing road courses, not full course yellows. Um, Anthony Alfredo's spin at the end should have been a local yellow because he got going as, almost as soon as they threw the caution. Um, there's quite a bit of time where they should have just had a local yellow, let the guys race the rest of the track. Um, so I think those are two things that definitely need to be improved upon before I am a full supporter of road course racing in NASCAR. This is still a, a pretty damn good race, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, you look at any other series, they don't have stage cautions, and they do really good road racing, whether it's Formula 1, Aussie V8, Supercars, uh, DTM, the like. It doesn't matter. You know, they don't they don't separate everything. But I do want to point out the 38 spinning Anthony Alfredo was kind of in the middle of the pack, and they didn't throw the caution then. They didn't have a local yellow then. Uh, the whole pack goes, with, you know, through, and there's no one there. And it's a road course racetrack, so – it's two miles long. It's going to take the leaders probably a minute and 10, a minute and 20 seconds to get back to there. There was no reason to throw that yellow at all. And that was, that was a big joke for me this week. I mean, I saw that and I was like, are you, are you kidding me? So I, I, I gotta, I gotta say NASCAR, you need to wake up. Um, throwing cautions does not make the race entertaining. You know what that does? It takes green flag racing laps off of the race that I'm trying to watch, and it makes me kind of angry because I don't get to see that strategy like Colton was talking about. I mean, we don't have a fuel strategy game, and we don't have a tire strategy game when we've got cautions that we know are going to come out. You know, we saw very good racing at Sonoma and Watkins Glen for years, and it was because those guys were going – and running the race backwards, and they just kind of got screwed up because a caution came out in the middle of the pit cycle, and guys on one strategy capitalized while guys on the other strategy might have fallen back a lot, and it made that race compelling to see guys try and come back from getting screwed over from a natural caution. So I, I don't know. It was just really frustrating to me uh, that we saw something like that. Um, and I think that goes a lot to say that there's 40-something cars on these tracks. It's not like we're watching an Indy car race with 22 guys out there. There's going to be a lot of chaos without having those cautions. So I don't know if you guys agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think that their their motives are different than ours. And Look at it from this perspective. They want to see their version of entertainment. It's like, hey, if we want restarts. We want, we want guys shoving each other out of the way. We want all that kind of stuff. But they don't seem to want the green flag racing where you can see a guy like Truex running down somebody late in the run. They don't seem to care about that side of the racing. They just want whatever looks the best for a TV highlight reel. And long green flag racing doesn't give them as much to post on their social media accounts as, as a 25 car pileup on a restart going into turn one, you know, like the Robo, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know. It, it kind of feels like instant gratification versus overall satisfaction. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm a firm believer that guys like Jeff Burton and Carl Edwards, um, a would not race in NASCAR in this yeah. day and age, or b just wouldn't ever get a ride because they're so much um, saving tires and managing the long run. Whereas now you just 
really have to be loud pedal on all the time um, and just wait for the next caution for you to make up spots. Yeah, and uh, it's not like those those race wins that we think about when we think about uh, specifically Carl Edwards, like his first win in Atlanta where he he was a, more than a couple seconds behind Jimmy Johnson there, ran him down while Jimmy was on older tires because he could keep them he, he kept them fresh. Um, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if there's a disconnect between fans and stuff like tire and fuel management, and, and that's why we're getting all of this um, gung-ho type racing. But, I mean, I was always thoroughly entertained from a fuel mileage race at a Michigan or a Pocono where somebody could come from nowhere and just win the race because three or four other cars ran out of gas on the last lap. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're just a different old school breed, and the new the new school yeah. guys just can't handle it. They don't have the attention spans or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because we're relatively young, all of us, and the fact that we're still getting on them about it, you know, it's. I mean, I even see kids on Twitter saying the same thing that we are. So, I think that they seem to not understand that younger people don't all have short attention spans. Like, if you're in the sport, you probably do have a longer attention span than the average person my age would. Well, they don't call it high-speed chess for nothing, right? Right, exactly. I mean, I mean and, and to me, if you can get a good finish every once in a while, you'll get people's eyes on the sport, and you'll get them to appreciate what's going on um, with, with each of the races, you know? I mean, yeah, we could watch a Coke 600 where Kyle Larson leads all but – two laps because of a pit cycle and and has the whole you know field 14 laps down a la Ned Jarrett uh in the Southern 500 and it still be a very compelling race from second on back so I, I don't know I guess they just maybe they're not NASCAR fans maybe they didn't grow up with it and they just put on a suit and tie and are out there to grab money I'm not really sure at this point um but moving on a little bit I do want to talk about one of the other controversies that came um from this race, and we didn't see the first part of what happened uh, until a few days later on Twitter, and then uh, the driver that was involved got on SiriusXM radio and kind of explained what happened, and that was what happened between the 34 of Michael McDowell and the 99 of Daniel Suarez, and so all we saw was the 34 get spun out in turn 11 at the end of the race, and he dropped a few spots. I think he finished like 19th or something. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, uh, did you hear Daniel Suarez's side of the story? And did you see the onboard from Alex Bowman showing the 34 pushing the 99 off earlier in the lap? I think it was about turn five going down into the carousel. Um, yeah. Did you, did you guys see those bits of media? Mm-hmm. I did see the onboard from Bowman. Um, the thing is, it was kind of far back, so I wasn't – a few replays to kind of see what really happened there. Um, it almost looked like McDowell's car just took a sudden jerk to the left. It almost looked like – you know, I, I've seen – it's like that, that truck series finish back at Canadian Tire with uh, Custer and Nemechek where it looked like Nemechek just got loose. At that point when he tried to correct it, he didn't lift. He didn't seem to have any regard for the car on the outside and just said, I'm saving myself. I don't care about you. So I don't want to say that he just chose to turn left in a right-hand corner just to do that. You know, I don't think he would destroy his own corner enough to do that. But I think that at some point, 
in that corner, he either got back to the gas too quick or just tried to, or just tried to correct it simply. And at that point he realized like, I don't care about the guy on my outside. I'm just going to run him into the dirt. And that's why Suarez was upset, which I perfectly understand. Um, you know, even if it's by mistake or on purpose, whatever, that, that's only something that the driver would know. But at the end of the day, he still got ran clean off the track. So he has a hundred percent reason to be upset at the end because if you're in the car and you get run off, you're not going to have time to decipher whether or not that was intentional or whether or not that was intentional. So I really, I really think that was just a complete disagreement. I don't, I don't think either of them were too far out of line, but I don't fault Suarez at all for getting back to him. What, uh, what position were they fighting for when uh, McDowell shoved Suarez off track? Do we know? I want to say they were 12th when that was yeah, happening. They were I'm not really sure. Round uh, I think Daniel Suarez wound up 12th and, and 19th for the 34. Fair yeah, because I know the other cars in that picture, like Hamlin was in that picture. He finished eighth and whatnot. Okay, so. so fair to say fighting for a top 10 at that point, right? Yeah, because you never know yeah. what happened. There's a whole lap lap. We know race car drivers never forget, right? So who's to say that the 99 and 34 hadn't been getting into each other a good chunk of the day, you know, a little bump right. here, yeah. a little tap there. Exactly. Um, exactly. Race cars don't just jump to the left unless you break something. Um, and even at a road course, I don't – I see your point, Nate, but I don't buy that he just got loose and decided not to save it and, you know, kind of bounce off Suarez to save the car. Um, I think he – it for the most part, was intentional, whether he tried to make it look like an accident or whichever. Um, but I, we don't know what happened before that. You know, we don't know the other – little incidents they've had. And we know that McDowell and Suarez go back a few years. Um, remember their fight at Phoenix over qualifying. Um, so they probably don't have any good tempers toward each other. Um, but I think both were probably completely in line, judging, again, on what happened before. Um, I don't fault Suarez at all. I didn't hear his opinions, but I did see the, the onboard replay. Um, and, again, it's kind of hard to tell. Like Nate said, it took me a couple replays to, to figure out exactly what happened there. Um, yeah, but I mean, neither party's at fault, and then both are probably in the right at some point. Yeah, exactly. Because well, I, well, I guess it almost the way that car jerked. It almost reminds me of uh, Richmond back in 08 with Kyle Busch and Dale Jr., where you could see that intent. Everyone thought at first, like, yeah, he meant to do that, but you could see the car jerk because he was trying to chase the car up, and it just snapped back. But like I, I mean, like you said, whether it was intentional or not, Suarez still has a reason to be mad because. You know, he got run off the track, whether 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 there was intent or not. Like, there's no reason to not be upset at that. Yeah, and that's what he said uh, in his interview on SiriusXM. Um, basically, he said that after the race, he went and spoke to Michael. Michael and he both kind of brushed it off. I guess Michael understood that what he got was what was going to happen if he runs someone like Suarez, who is kind of a bulldog or, I guess, uh, for a pun reason, Pitbull. Pitbull, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so he kind of understood that, but he was also fighting with the 48 at this point, and they had been rough riding all day, uh, the 34 and the 48. So um, Suarez said he thinks he might have got the wrong end of the stick on their stuff, um, uh, and maybe he was just being a little too aggressive because he was fighting the 48, and that's why he got into to Daniel Suarez. He said there was no bad blood. I don't really think that because, you know, he did kind of slam Michael McDowell into the concrete. 
yeah. at uh, Phoenix a couple years ago of yeah. qualifying. So I don't know. We'll have to see if anything comes of it. I doubt it will. Um, Michael McDowell's pretty level-headed guy. Uh, Daniel Suarez seems to have his priorities straight this year. I'm not sure that a feud would be very good for uh, the trajectory Trackhouse is on right now. So I think we'll we'll probably just see it kind of ebb and flow for a little bit and then be nothing by the end of the season. Uh, but moving on, those Hendrick cars were, were fast, guys. Um, and I know we had talked about it in our personal uh, group chat that we have for the, for the podcast. Uh, I think it was on DBC that they said the Hendrick cars – may have an advantage of upwards of 16 horsepower, especially at the 750 tracks. So I want to kind of ask you guys what you think of that, and uh, is that the reason why the 9 and the 5 just shot out like a cannonball at the beginning of the race and just couldn't be caught in that? You know, I'm not really much of a technical expert, so I'm probably not one to quote on this, but I definitely think that their engines are overall better. Um, that's always been their focus as a team. Um, they've always prided themselves on engines. That's just the way it's been. And but I don't think 16 horsepower would do that at Sonoma. Um, obviously, you have to have great drivers in the car, which they do, and you have to have great tire management. They have that, and I think that there's got to be an advantage at the low end of things too, because peak power is probably not going to do a lot for you at a road course where you're not full throttle that much. Um, most of it's getting off of slow speed corners, um, which which it lines up with something Ricky Stenhouse said a few years ago about the Gibbs cars having some sort of engine advantage at short tracks coming off the corner. So I think in general, they're just better overall. I don't think there's one thing you could cite it towards, whether it be just top end power or torque or anything like that, because Keselowski said the same thing on the radio at Kansas. He said Larson ran more downforce than anybody else yet still pulled him on the straightaways because his engine was just better. Like he could turn down off the corner like an Indy car and still not lose any ground to a guy that was running a trimmed out setup. So I think they just have it all right now. Uh, I completely buy that they have a, an advantage. I could completely see it. Um, yeah. It could be multiple things. It could be, yeah. we know that Chevy's had a problem with their nose a few years ago when they changed the car design. Um, and yeah. it really took them quite a while to figure out what the hell's going on there. So maybe they figured out something with the nose. Um, the horsepower wouldn't surprise me because, as to Nate's point, even at a road course, if I have 20 more horsepower than you, I'm going to go a little bit faster on the exit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still, especially on the longer straightaways, which is where we saw the Hendrick cars really kind of start to get the field. Um, that That's where that came in. And I don't know if it's upwards of 16. You know, it may average 5, 10. You know, it could be 16 at this track or whichever. Um, but I'm I'm completely – I would completely buy that they have some sort of advantage. And to that point, when the cars were 950 horsepower, it's really hard to go from 950 to 960 as opposed to um, 550 to 560 or to 750 to 760. Um, once you start getting upwards in the numbers, the exponentials yeah, kind of exactly. a little off. And, so and I it's think not that just that, you know, because, like – if you look at those numbers, 950 to 960 is a smaller margin even than, you know, 550 right. to 560. So it's so it's it's more theoretically horsepower because we're running a smaller engine package. So I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and, I mean, if we look at, you know, 20 horsepower is, I mean, man, at 510, we're talking like 
oh, what would that be? We're talking like 4% more horsepower. You know, if I right. give my go-kart yeah. 4% more horsepower, I'd be yeah. broken everyone, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's always about little advantages. And like, like they said about the Gibbs cars a few years ago, you know, they might not have the most outright power, but if they can get off a low-speed corner better than somebody else can, that, that advantage is going to show that's, it. Yeah, that's going to translate later in the race. Yeah. yeah. So I, like, I, I think it's, it's A, the engine, probably B, they figured out the nose. And Hendrick guys, they're all so good just in general. I mean, we throw tire management yeah. in there. That's a skill they all seem to have. Um, so, I mean, you, you combine them all together, like Nate said, and you're just looking at a kick-ass organization. Yeah, and – Let's not forget that we are talking about Kyle Larson, and we will be talking about Kyle Larson uh, today as our main uh, subject. So I do kind of want to ask, you know, how is this How is this guy that we come from a dirt background that is absolutely extensive, and I'll get into a little bit of that later, how, how has he come to be, you know, this guy on road course that could just walk away from people? Um, is it because he's driving for Hendrick and he's got one of the best road course racers by his side as a teammate, Chase Elliott, or is he just unlocked the next tier of his talent? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, as you know, as a lot of drivers have noted, data sharing is a big thing nowadays. Um, obviously, even if he was driving a 42, he would still get access to data for other drivers. Um, the only thing is now – he happens to have one of the best road course programs in the business making his cars. So all sorts of stuff that he didn't know about Chase Elliott or what Chase Elliott was doing in the last few years, he has all that access to him now. So now it's up to him to either copy that and do better or see exactly what Chase Elliott is doing so that he can model that. Um, you know, now it's almost like, it's almost like, he was driving blind in 42. He didn't exactly know everything that the great road racer, the great road racers were doing. But now that he's got one next to him, it seems like he, they can't hide anything from him anymore. He's got it all there. So now, now it almost, that's where his talent comes into play as in like, I have the talent all along. I didn't know how to do it, but now that the person who's been beating me is right next to me, he can't hide anything. Now I can just straight up see everything he's doing and use my ability to take care of that. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, I think it's a combination of things that's making Larson seem to light the world on fire. Um, a, his talent. I still think that he is by far the best natural race car driver of my generation. Um, I'd throw him in there with guys like Shane Meal, uh, Tony Stewart, who can just kind of be playing video yeah. games on their phone and then immediately set it down, go jump in, drive this race car. Yeah. Um, and I think he's got that, which so few guys do. Um, I think the equipment plays a huge factor that people are forgetting about. He used to dominate oh, yeah. dominate races in that 42 in like 2017, yeah. 2018, and just kind of seemed to always lose it at the end, whether it be a restart or something happens. Um, so the equipment's definitely playing into his favor. And then to Nate's point, um, there's a lot of data sharing going on in NASCAR in general, but especially when you're in the Hendrick stable and you've got Al, Alan Gustafson right over there and Gray guys right behind that corner, um, and then Jeff Gordon kind of looking over everything. I mean, you're, you're talking about a whole bunch of knowledge at his access, and he can – I mean, he's really taking it and running with it. Um, I think this is kind of what we all expected him to do when he got into a good ride. I just didn't think under these circumstances and this quick would he be completely yeah. lights out. 
I knew he'd be okay this year, but I didn't, I didn't know like, you know, like lead the series and wins, lead the series and stage wins. I didn't think he would do it this quickly. Yeah. And I kind of want to go into that. So who is Kyle Larson? Um, well, he's a midget national champion. He's a K and M East champion. He's, He's won the Battle at the Beach in 2013. He's won the Rolex 24. Um, he won the All Star Race. He's done. Um, he's done. He's won in in trucks. He's won in Xfinity, and he's won in Cup. I mean, the the guy had no real reason to go run super late models, and he won his second start. Um, he's racing the Dream this weekend, and then going to the All Star Race, and that's the biggest. Uh, dirt late model race there is and you know we know he's won the chili bowl he's got multiple um, successes in open wheel dirt cars whether it's wingless or wing sprint cars uh 410s what have you i mean we know this guy is talented colton said generational talent i've said it before on this podcast i've also said i don't have really i don't like the guy but I, I, I respect the fact that he is probably the greatest race car driver of my lifetime. And I can't Whoa. wait to see what else he's going to do. That's um, a bold one right there. I, I, I think it, I, yeah. there's, I don't think you can argue with that. He gets in anything and wins. If you put him in a Indy car, I think he can go out and win the Indy 500 in his rookie year. Um, and I have, I have no aversion to saying that. I would put money on that. Um, okay. So, I mean, but like you guys said, this was a change of culture for him. This was something we thought he was going to be successful in. But he has come in. It took him no more than, what, three weeks to win that first race at Las Vegas, and he has dominated since. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is this is astonishing, even though it's Kyle Larson we're talking about, because we're so used yeah, to him being sure. that mid-pack guy because he was with CGR for so long. Yeah, I would agree. Um, like like you said, I think it's hard to really prove who the best single driver of the generation is because there aren't many guys that are even allowed to run multiple series anymore. You know, the, the only crossovers you get these days are if you're an open-wheel guy, you usually go run sports cars for your free time. Or if you're a NASCAR guy, you go run dirt cars or late models in your spare time. There's, there's no real, like... There's no more like this guy's gonna go run the Indy 500 one week and then he's gonna go run, he's gonna go run F1 the next week. There's not as much doing that. So, I think you do have a very good point. I think that he's definitely the closest thing we have to like a Tony Stewart or a Juan Montoya of this current decade. Um, I, I, it's impressive. I kind of thought it was a little bit premature last year because he was. He won like 40 of the 80 dirt races he ran last year or something like that. Yeah. And now he, and people are saying, oh, he needs to show us we can do that in NASCAR. And sure enough, he's pretty much shown that already. So, yeah, I think, yeah, um, he's – it's kind of cool because I grew up with Tony Stewart with one of my two or three favorite drivers growing up. So it's almost like seeing that all over again. Yeah, I'd even compare him to like a modern-day Mar uh, Mario Andretti. Um, Andretti started on dirt, kind of went into stock cars a little bit, and then took his own route. Granted, like Nate said, that was back when you could run and right. take one race this week, IndyCar, NASCAR, all in the same season. I kind of wish they could do it now. <laughs> but, I mean, 
I have no doubt. I don't know about F1, but if we see Kyle Larson get into an Indy car, he can go win the Indy 500. He can go compete at most of these other road courses as well. Um, and I'm sure if we give him a Formula One car within six months, he'd figure it out. He'd be up towards the front and getting podiums. Um, right. I, but I think eventually, like you said, the talent, if they're that adaptable, they will eventually – they'll figure it they'll out. They'll figure it know? out, yeah. Like they're yeah. they're good enough and, at driving. They're good enough at driving a car. You know. Yeah, and I think our point is is just Kyle Larson's that guy. He's that one guy. I think this generation, our generation, you know, the three of us, that's going to be able to go out there and do that. I mean, I don't know. Put him in a rally car, a rally cross car. Let's see what he can do. Stadium super trucks. I don't know. I want to see what this guy can do. And like I said, I've said it before. I don't really like the guy. I went into that earlier this year about that. But you know when. Talking about Kyle Larson, we do have to talk about what happened last year and the incident mm-hmm. where he said the slur um, on an iRacing uh, Twitch stream. And now, with that being said, my disdain from him has nothing to do with that. I, like I've said before on this show, I didn't really like him because he was always a little bit too cocky, and Ooh. he presented himself as not wanting to be here. He's only here for the money in regards to NASCAR. He's kind of grown out of that because of this incident, and uh, we spoke about that on episode three or four, um, and Nate did, um, before Colton was on the show. But with that being said, the biggest question is, because everyone's saying it, does he deserve to be in a better ride? Did he fail upwards? Hmm. You know, it's tough. Um, I don't want to say that he failed to get where he is just because a lot of people kind of gloss over the fact that he was well into talks with Rick Hendrick before this ever happened. Um, it only came out after he was announced to get the five to where they're like, yeah, we already talked about this. This was this is well before the pandemic started. And, you know, we, he wanted this. Um, but with that being said, I do think that there's a point. Um, he definitely – that incident definitely um, kind of sullied whatever reputation he had for obvious reasons. And I guess the best way to put it is that I don't think they would have hired him if he didn't seem sincere in his efforts to change his ways. Because there have been plenty of drivers in NASCAR that have been suspended for behavioral problems along these lines. And some of those guys, like the mid-pack drivers, they didn't even have to release a public statement. And they just got back in the car. They did their sensitivity training and whatever. But, you know, you're, you're talking about a guy who he worked with a company called the Urban Youth Racing School. And he had worked with plenty of kids in this foundation that he pretty much let down by saying that. And he said something along the lines of, like, the hardest time that he had going through all that last year was having to go face-to-face with those kids and explain his mistake because he didn't think they were going to accept his apology at all. So the fact that they did was pretty amazing. And I think they wouldn't have, the school wouldn't have wanted him back if he didn't seem genuine in his actions, because we look at it now, he still has a relationship with them. And if it wasn't genuine, he wouldn't have any ties with them. All the ties would have been cut completely, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, his comment definitely warranted him losing his ride. Oh, yeah. And that's sure. the point that I've been trying to make on Twitter and mm-hmm. to my other buddies who were diehard fans before and they, I mean, they actually honestly seemed to like him more after that for some some odd reason. Um, 
but he that was completely warranted. I am of the opinion that he, I don't want to say fail, but he, he failed upwards. Um, mm-hmm. He got out of that ride, and it's almost like it just cleared up any contract and any conversation he had because Rick Hendrick was really the only guy outside of maybe Gene Haas who could feel the car full-time with the equipment he's in to get yeah. him to the spot that he's in now. Um, I would have, especially seeing what happened with Kurt Busch 10 years ago um, and his whole fallout with Penske after his allegations mm-hmm. and all the, the trouble he was in, I would have liked to see him go to a smaller team, um, not necessarily to like a, like a Rick Ware or anything, but I would have liked to see him fill in at Front Row Motorsports instead of out Anthony Alfredo or one of these kind of mid-pack teams to then say, okay, this is now behind me. Now I'm going to step into this top equipment where it seemed at the time like, you know, WTF, why the hell is this guy getting fired from this ride for what he said? And then thus being placed into arguably one of the best cars in the field. Right. Um, and now I, obviously I get that part. Proven it's the best car mm-hmm. in the field. I didn't yeah. agree with that at the time. I don't know that I still fully agree with it. Um, mm-hmm. Especially now it seems like there's more Larson fans than there's ever been. Right. Um, and I was a huge Kyle Larson fan before. I always called him my second favorite driver. Blaney right yeah. now, I was a lot. I was supporting Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually met Larson at a party in Talladega on the boulevard mm-hmm. before this all happened. And that was a highlight of my life. And then after the event took place on the iRacing, I, I didn't want to associate. And I'm still kind of weary about right. it because my friends that don't watch NASCAR, he's, he's not the Kyle Larson that we know. He's the Kyle Larson that the media had portrayed for a couple months. Right. Was, oh, this NASCAR driver and I think, fired because of this. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the biggest. Yeah. So I would have liked to see him go into a front row, into, um, I'm trying to think of another mid-pack team. Maybe to, to track house would have been a good fit for him. Um, to something along those lines to just kind of ride out for a year or so and let everything right. really and I think down. The hardest part with that stuff is that, you know the, the joke that says too soon when it comes to that kind of stuff? I think that was sort of the problem. Um, it, it almost seemed like the incident – like it has to take time to settle down. Like time is kind of the best healer when it comes to these things. And absolutely, he didn't. There wasn't any time. Like he went straight into that next car, for example. Um, there wasn't that sort of the rehabilitation punishment, period. right? There wasn't like a quote unquote punishment through the public, like what Kurt Busch went through. As in, like his punishment sort of was going to Phoenix Racing. Um, yeah, and, uh, I can I, I can kind of agree there uh, with you, Nate. Um, but also, I mean, he he still didn't get to finish the 2020 season. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't get to finish that contract. He got fired from every contract he had um, with sponsors, with his race team, right. with sponsors for his sprint cars, even. So um, I think the work that he did out of the track kind of proved that he knows that he. You know, fucked up and and he fixed it. Um, I'm not necessarily kind of on the side of yay. He deserves to be in that five ride. Um, for me, kind of like what Colton was saying, I think he needed to do a redemption arc, uh, like you guys had said. Um, Kurt Busch did. Uh, for me, that would have been uh, the utter irony of him going to the 43 and having to serve a year instead of Eric Jones going there. Would have been the absolute 
best and most humbling experience I think that Kyler is a good have because right. and I agree. it's a decent right. yeah and it's a decent I, team but it's also not the best car on the garage right I think the toughest part like these things is that people sort of view the punishment you know where where this comes from you know like I think people want a punishment that can be seen um, right right and I think. I think the only reason why he was hired to Rick Hendrick is they were able to see stuff that we weren't about him. They probably did a bunch of evaluators, a bunch of tests and all that kind of stuff to make sure that, you know, hey, this guy, does this guy actually, does this guy actually deserve to be here? You know, is he, you know, did he actually do anything different than what he's been doing for the past two years or whatever? Um, like, I think it's a tough situation for sure. Um but like you said, time is kind of the toughest thing, and yeah, when you're in a situation like that, it sort of gives off the illusion that there wasn't enough time for for the other fans to really move on from that. Because I'm sure Eric Jones fans are not happy about that because they would have much rather have seen their guy get the five car because that right, was rumored exactly. for quite a while. Um, right. But I don't know where that fell through along the lines. I think someone from Motorsports Analytics said that. He wanted too much money, and he didn't bring enough money, and vice versa. Whereas Larson didn't bring money, but the con or the pro is he didn't need money either because he was, you know, there was no justification in paying him that much. So I yeah, think it was almost like he did. So. right. It was almost like a, I guess it was almost like a worst case scenario situation from a PR side because they pretty much there was no time for anything to simmer down. Like they pretty much just thrust him back into the spotlight. And and to to be fair here, he still doesn't have any personal sponsors. I mean, Hendrick's still no, sponsoring that. Not, yeah. Um, Deservingly so. And I don't. I, I I wouldn't call it a punishment, but I would call it like a reflection or a rebuilding period. Um, mm, absolutely. Just because if he were in any ride other than the five or even say the fourteen or forty-one, he wouldn't even have that option. Um, he would have to go to to a forty-three. That was that's a great great team. Um, I, I, I would have liked to have seen that and to kind of earn that reputation back. Like we saw with Kurt Busch, um, when Kurt won the Daytona 500, um, that's when everyone kind of was like, all right, this is all healed. This is all behind us. Um, Kurt is, I mean, he's, he's almost a godsend now in our opinion. And right. he, he had problems, I think. Because, yeah, because he overcame all of that and showed that Absolutely. Like, I don't think uh, I've ever seen, right. I don't think I've ever seen a driver that, had started out more trouble than Kurt Busch. He had, and it's so like if you want to talk about behavior issues, that guy, he's probably one of the few guys ever to have run himself out of a Penske ride just via his mouth. He had, I don't think Roush was a huge thing, but he did get in trouble a couple times over there. Um, he, he probably ran himself out of a Phoenix ride too. Um, he had his list of behavioral issues was probably longer than his list of wins at the time. Um, I, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's definitely like a once in a lifetime story for sure. For yeah, and I think what, what you guys are kind of alluding to is kind of like everyone respects Kurt Busch now. And right. I don't think anyone can say that the same kind of avenue was taken by Kyle Larson. I don't think that it's not that he doesn't deserve the five car because talent-wise he definitely does. But he hasn't served his tenants um, enough to earn my and most – the majority of the fans respect um, right. when it comes to getting that, that ride. So 
Mike I, I guess. Know. And at this I guess. point, I don't know if anything like he could go win out, go out and win the next six championships. And seven years from now, I still don't know that I'd feel a whole lot different knowing the backstory. Right. Like when would like when would the how long would the sentence be? If that makes sense, like would it be would it be thirty years, and would people still kind of would there be any semblance? Would there be any sort of time heals all wounds type thing with him, or would there be? Well, because I mean, would it? Would yeah. you rather like? Would you rather have him spent one year in the forty three, and then people instantly forget about what he said, or would you rather have had him, you know, drive the five car for ten years or whatever, and like see like where eventually people would come to the same conclusion, but the only difference is how, when they would come to that conclusion. I, I guess my final thoughts, yeah, I guess my final thoughts on the thing for, for this is we didn't we didn't see him right. go into an area and kind of have to build himself back up. He went straight into this five car. Like I said uh, just you know a few seconds ago, he deserves that ride based on talent alone. But I mean, based on merit, you know that that shouldn't have happened, in my opinion. If he'd have never said anything, if this incident never happened, and he popped in that five car this year, top of the moon, most respect I could have for a guy in NASCAR because he went from a mediocre ride to the best ride in NASCAR and is doing something with it. Yeah, it's kind of campy for me because he didn't do it that way. Yeah, I agree completely. To Nate's point, um, the whole put it on the back burner and forget about it that's i think that's exactly what needed to happen because now he's propelled into this five car he's winning races like i mentioned earlier to my non-nascar watching friends they see him in the news and they think oh that's the n-word guy and that's right right i think as long as he's winning races in that five car and especially because he won a race so soon after that's that's kind of the stigma he's attached to non-nascar fans right Um, we can sit and gripe about it and we can defend him all day but I mean, if he would have fallen off the back burner for two, three, four years and kind of worked his way back up, I don't think we would see that in the future. And only time will tell. Yeah, and I think another key thing is that, you know, I I guess I don't know if he would have come, come back to NASCAR if he wasn't offered a ride that good. I honestly think that right. if there was no yep. good ride on the table, I think he would have raced in sprint cars for a few years and then came back once there was – a better opportunity for him. Um, I like I said, I'm not That's sure. That's right, as the guy. Yeah, and to your point, Alex. I mean, we didn't see that rebuilding period in the public eye. We heard about what he's done outside. Right, because he, he, kind of he didn't have Twitter. social media for quite a while. Did yeah, after that. and we didn't see that as NASCAR fans and as race fans, him going out mm-hmm. and rebuilding. I grant, granted, the public did see it. In Minneapolis, in St. Louis, right. in all the places he was, but we as NASCAR fans didn't really get that justification. And granted, justification might not even be the right word here because I'm sure most NASCAR fans probably wouldn't agree with it. Um, yeah, at least the ones I've talked to. But I feel like having having that buffer period and that rebuilding would have. Right. Yeah, and I think it was a disservice to to not only Kyle Larson but to NASCAR as an image itself because you've got this social justice movement happening. You've got Bubba Wallace, you know, having the Confederate flag removed. You've got Steve Phelps saying what he said at Atlanta. And then you've got this guy coming out here dropping the racial slur. And and not the easier version. Um, he, he dropped that hard right. R. And 
Right. And then he's on top of the sport right now. It just it's it's a little bit topsy turvy kind of confusing look from an outside perspective. Yeah. And I think I, it's I think because, that's where you were going. Right. I think it's because a lot of the work he's done, like you said, is outside the public eye. Like nobody even knew he was in Minneapolis or St. Louis or whatever doing that stuff until someone took a picture of him. Like, how would we have yeah. known? Like there he basically didn't have social media because I'm sure the reason he did that is because if he had posted it on social media, they would probably say, Oh, you're just doing it for PR and whatnot. You know? Yeah. I think Couldn't, his, he he kinda had the same idea that we had of trying to sit it on the back burner. He just had one year to do it. He didn't have a lot of time to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, Even he less kinda than had that. like I a mean, just the COVID process. break to now. Yeah. Right. Eight months. That is not a long time to change your image. No, um, and I guess, I mean, this has been a pretty good conversation. Uh, we've all kind of had our thoughts about the incident, um, where we think it should have went, uh, what would have happened, you know, had the incident not happened. Um, and with that, I kind of want to bring in kind of one of our what-if questions. You know, we started a what-if series a couple of episodes ago, and um, this is kind of um, something that I was thinking of uh, that I brought to your guys' attention, and uh, I know you had some thoughts uh, prepared about it, and that was what if – Kyle Larson never went to Ganassi. What if he started off on the Hendrick track and went through oh, the, through junior motorsports and then directly into Hendrick? Where would the sport and where would Kyle Larson be in the sport right now? Um, well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I think from my perspective, I don't think he would have ever been with Rick Hendrick based on how the development really? ladder was back then. Um, he won the K&N East Championship in a Toyota He for Rev Racing, I believe. He won a couple of midget championships for Keith Coons, which is like a TRD pipeline team. And from what everyone seems to say, the reason he went to Ganassi is because he was full in on that Toyota ladder before the TRD program was highly touted to be a development program. He went there because Toyota wanted money for him. He wanted, they wanted him to bring a certain amount of sponsor dollars, which he couldn't bring. So he went to Chip Ganassi, and you know Chip Ganassi with his I like winners thing. Yeah. Took him on. He was one of the few guys to take him on with no money whatsoever except his own pockets. And ever since that incident, Toyota has been completely different. Like the guys like Eric Jones, Christopher Bell, they didn't bring money at all. Like they just used TRD sponsorship like JBL or Reem or um, Sirius XM. All those sponsors were there because Toyota knew the mistake they made in losing Kyle Larson over money to where they're now like, hey, we want to make sure that our development prospects don't need to bring money anymore. So I think I think if things with Toyota fell through and there was no Ganassi, I don't know if he would have had a top-tier opportunity in the sport at all. Okay. Let's say he does, though. Let's say he goes through the TRD ladder, um, like you mm-hmm. said. Burst my Hendrick bubble. Um, mm-hmm. You know, He's going to end up at JGR or Furniture Row. Right. Who do we not see in that ladder? Is it is it Matt mm, Kenseth? Yeah. Is it – or I should say Matt Kenseth. Is it is he out earlier? Um, is it, you know, a Carl Edwards is out earlier? Is it uh, Truex? Is it Bell? Like, who who is – who is based, he going to take that spot of? I think – I think on the timetable, had Carl Edwards. That TRD – with funding, we would not have seen Truex go to front, uh, Furniture Row. Or maybe Edwards. Like, uh-uh. say, say if Edwards, say if you delay 
say if Furniture Row was Chevy in 2015, Larson was a cup rookie full-time in 2014. So say say they leave Lar- – Larson only did one full year of Xfinity for Turner Scott. So say if he got two full years of Xfinity for the JGR Xfinity program – and say they move him up in 2015 instead of 2014, and that's when they signed Edwards. So my thought is since Furniture Row was not a Toyota team at the time, that they might have just had to put him in the 19. I don't, I don't, I don't know where he would have gone. Like, I don't think Toyota had another team back then because I think Michael Waltrip was in their last year of existence in 2015. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still think that you you made a good point being putting it in perspective with Edwards signing um that's that's a really good point but i still think we don't see Truex go to that 78 car at that time the 78 was definitely improving they had already had a win with Regan Smith at that time um mm-hmm. but you you look at when Truex signed he had i think two wins to his name he had the yeah. one at Dover in the one car and then at Sonoma in the 56 um especially with how many years he was already in the cup series if I told you you had the choice of this new up-and-coming driver that had the funding behind him, again, completely hypothetical, um, and was proven to win in every series he'd gone up to, would you give him that two years in the 78, which was against Alliance at that time? Or would you go with Martin Truex, who was kind of an unproven Cup Series regular for the last almost well, 10 years? that's the hard part, is that that decision for Truex was made at the end of 2013, so... And JGR didn't sign that alliance until 2016, so I'm wondering, oh, that's you know, there's got to be a stopgap because I think Juan Montoya was the main second candidate for the 78 at the end of 2013 because it was it was well known that he was leaving in Nassi after 2013, but it seems like once he knew that there wasn't, he probably didn't think the 78 was a good opportunity for him, so he just went straight to IndyCar. So I I don't know, like I think. I, I don't see – I mean, Michael Walsh Racing would have been the only other big Toyota team for him at the time, and they were definitely – Spingate kind of just – I mean, it kind of kicked the legs out from under him. Yeah, there was a bunch of other stuff going on, you know, in the back of the, the, back of that program with Rob Kaufman and, and Michael Walsh anyways. Um, I feel like they could have got around Spingate, but that's a whole other can of worms for another, another episode – so I kind of want to go back to my original question then. Uh, Colton, I'll lead off with you this time. Um, so let's say he does get in that Hendrick manifold. Let's say he goes and runs maybe a season or two of Xfinity and JR Motorsports. Um, who's not going to be at uh, at Hendrick, and is he going to find success early, or is it going to take him some time? Uh Looking at the Hendrick ladder the last few years, I still think Chase Elliott moves up. Um, I don't know that we see Alex Bowman. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Because you put William Byron in that kind of same timetable. Yeah, Chase takes Gordon's car. I think we, I think Larson moves up and pushes Kane out early. And then we don't see Alex Bowman come in. Right. Right. So we're talking about a team with Byron. Dale Jr., Larson, and um, it'd be, well, it'd be Jimmy L- Johnson. Elliot Jr., Johnson, Larson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think if, say, Jr. still retires after 2017, that's where I think Byron would have gone there instead of the, um, yeah. instead of going to, um, instead of going to the 24 where he did go because 
I think that if it comes down to Bowman versus Byron, Bowman is significantly less funded than Byron at the time. He had no sponsorship of his own, whereas Byron, he brought Liberty University. He seems to have all the Hendrick sponsors support him. So I think if Dale Jr. retired at the end of 2017, they would have just put Byron there. And yeah. I think Bowman would have been either not at all there or he would have been pretty much stunned significantly by that. Right. And I think, honestly, uh, I know Chase come out with the nine after, what was it, two seasons in the 24? Yeah. If Larson would have been there at the same time, I think Larson would have been a very good spiritual successor to oh, Jeff yeah. Gordon. I mean, they're from it's the really same cool. region. They're from the same background. Uh, not really any reason, in my opinion, that the 24 should have been a thing uh, for Chase Elliott going in if they were going to change yeah. it to the nine, you know, later anyways. Um, and that would have been good. And and so we would have had Dale Jr. and Kyle Larson on the same team with Jimmy Johnson and your rookie Chase Elliott. And, and I feel like that would have been really cool. Byron comes in, uh, I guess you guys – say you would come to the 88 maybe they change the 88 to the five still um and we have jimmy run those two years and then we see um yeah we see uh that's, we see that naturally progress and that's a really good point you know i, I don't know I, that hendrick super team model would have probably never been a question mark i think if that would have happened because they kind of yeah. have the big four guys and then all these little rookies, and now Kyle Larson's head of the show yeah. and, and carrying that team along now. Um, right. Of course, that's debatable with with Elliott being there currently, but I'm thinking at, at this point it would have been a smooth transition from, from older superstars to younger superstars, and I think it would have worked out better for the series as a whole. Um, with that being said, I mean, where does that leave CGR? They they had a flagship oh, guy in Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson was that team. Now I realize that Kurt Busch is that team now, but Kyle Larson was CGR. Yeah, uh, especially those 2016 and 2017 seasons. Yeah, I'm. I get kind of worried about them, like you said, because the Jeff Gordon thing makes so much sense with Hendrick. I mean, there's a picture of Kyle Larson as a toddler with Jeff Gordon gear from head to toe on. So that all lines up so perfectly, and I think. If he's there from the start, I I don't know what happens to Ganassi because I think if Turner, Scott, and Ganassi had a semi-close relationship at the time, um, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if, um, say, say they get like a Justin Allgaier or something like that that brings money. And he was kind of on a similar Xfinity team at the time. I can't really think of any other – options for Ganassi that were like high profile guys. Um right. So I remember don't... remember what I who I said Larson would push out. Casey Kane at that point was right. Oh wow that's a that's I never thought Casey about that Kane one. Would right. go to Ganassi help that team out a little bit because they still had Jamie and Murray. Absolutely yeah. they did. And so they'd have two fairly high name guys there. Right. I think I think Casey Kane would have been a good bet like you said because a good bet. He's been kind of tossed around quite a bit. Um I remember when he signed for Red Bull for one year in 2011. He in 2010 he had already signed a deal to drive for Hendrick. Two years from then, so when he chose to drive for Red Bull in 2011, he had already chose Hendrick in 2012. Like that pre-contract was already done. Um, so I could definitely see, say Rick Hendricks, like, hey, you know, this kid's gonna push you out. 
I could definitely see something happening where Ganassi's, you know, I like winners. I like this guy. I want him to have. Yeah. And uh, Ace sense. Kane was, was a great driver before his health issues. So that would have been a yeah, big he was. I'm glad you bring that up, Colton, because I would have never even thought about that. Um, that this whole situation is just fun to it's it's fun for us. That's why we started the What If series to to kind of look look back at everything and see what 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 can we come up with. You know, the three of us all had different opinions on this, and and it's fun to see where we lie. Uh, it's kind of uh, an ebb and flow, and it's it's been really fun. That conversation was good, but we kind of want to move on to what is actually going to happen uh, this weekend, and that is the All Star Race. Um, we were going to make this a Walker joke segment, but I think all of us are pretty negative about it. So, um, we're just going to kind of run through our thoughts. Um, and we'll, we'll start, uh, a rotation. I'll go, uh, Colton and Nathan. Um, let's, let's take a look at some of these points that we were going to talk about. Um, just say a little bit about our thoughts and then move straight through this. Um, so first up the all-star race is in Texas. Oh man. oh man, I this is uh, it's a tough one. Um, I don't know how to rephrase this in a nice way. Um, like I am in no means working for NASCAR, so I have complete freedom of speech in this regard. So I definitely think this was a complete like a plot just so that Texas's camp, like Eddie Gossage, would make sure to uh, so that they couldn't pitch too big of a fit about one of the dates being taken away. It almost feels like a consolation prize for them, as in like, hey, if you guys shut up, we'll give you a little bit of something. To so, um, does Texas only have one date now, or do they still have two? Yeah, they only have one date. This is their second date uh, for so this, the trucks and Xfinity. Yeah, I could see this. Is, and have they released the 2022 schedule yet? No. I don't believe so. So, I could see this going one of two ways. Either this is the kind of, I'm sorry for ripping a, a Texas date away. Yeah, that's my thought. Or <laughs> as the precursor to moving the All-Star race around. Because this is going to be the third year in a row that we've seen it at three different tracks. So I see no reason for NASCAR not to keep this momentum rolling. Uh, we saw it in Charlotte 2019, Bristol 2020, Texas 2021. Who's to say they don't go to Atlanta 2022, you know, Dover 2023. Um, I think I'm not a fan of being at, it being at Texas. Um, I definitely yeah. have more of an I'm sorry for taking away a date. However, I still think this is a precursor to hopefully moving that all-star race around. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you, man. I I don't want it to move around. Just keep it at Charlotte and fix the damn cars. There's no point in, in changing it. I mean, you got speed weeks in Daytona, and you've got whatever they called it when you had the All Star <laughs> and the 600 back to back. I mean, that's two pilgrimages that I've wanted to always make, and I can't do that if they don't have the All Star the week before the 600. So I disagree with that. Um, Texas blows so it only deserves one date smi needs to pay for what they've done um they already lost kentucky they should just as well lose a, a second date at texas because they ruined that racetrack i applaud them for trying i really do everything that they're doing they're trying so hard to do what they can to make the sport better but this was a massive failure and until they make turns one and two the same banking as three as four again that track's going to suck ass, so it doesn't deserve two dates, especially our all-star race. I don't think we need to separate the crews from their home. We talked about that earlier on an earlier episode where I think them having two weeks at home is very good for their family life as well as a little bit of stability when they're on the road. Texas is a ridiculously long haul for crews 
to go for a, an all-star race. I don't want them to move it. This was just a big-ass joke for me. So next up is it is Sunday night at 8 p.m. Colton, I'm going to start with you. Oh, it's a joke. What You know what I'm going to be doing Sunday night when this race is airing? I'm going to be getting ready to go to sleep. Um, right. I work at 5 in the morning. I can't, I'm not going to stay up to watch this race. It's going to be background noise while I do my last little bit of stuff for the night to get ready for work. And then I'm going to go to bed, and I'm not going to find out who wins the All-Star race until I get up on Monday morning. Complete joke. Um, everything with Texas and the All-Star race, I'm not happy about it at all. Um, I don't know how to say it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, like I said, we weren't going to call this Walker joke because it'd just be Joker joke. Um, so, yeah, very bad idea on on the part. Okay, so I have some comments about the, the, the race weekend because you've got – regular season races for Xfinity and trucks. You could have done that on Sunday as a doubleheader, had your premier series on yes. on Saturday night if you just had to have it a night race. If not, let's split up the Xfinity race, put it on Saturday, put Sunday trucks and cup and run it at a 4 p.m. time slot. And that way that we don't have to have the problems like Colton has because I got to get up and go to work the next day too. I don't know that I'm going to spend all night watching that race. Um and then to our next point, I'll lead this one off. There's no all-star qualifying. You've got a 1 p.m. race, a 4 p.m. race, a 7 p.m. You could have done all-star qualifying. Are you guys are you guys as pissed off as I am? There's no all-star yeah. qualifying. Absolutely, 100%. There's no reason that they shouldn't have qualifying for this because everybody loved it, it seems like. It was almost like a – it was almost – as good as the race itself, watching the guys go down pit road at full speed and then trying to hit their marks perfectly. Um, it's something that's really unique, and you don't get to see it anywhere else. And I don't think we've seen all-star qualifying for like three years now. So Three years. It's it's pretty disappointing because it was essentially one of the biggest um, one of the biggest draws to that race weekend, and now we have none of it at all. Um, it's it's like the same with the pit crew contest. Like two of the big things are completely taken away from what made the All Star race kind of fun and special. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm on the fence here. Um, I miss All Star qualifying. I miss seeing guys go down pit road full speed, lock up the brakes, slide through about 15 different pit stalls, and then hit theirs. Um, however, I mean NASCAR is already completely messing up this race weekend. By changing the format to where basically every 10 laps we're throwing a caution. Um, so, I mean, they might as well just put a cherry on top and say, all right, we're not going to qualify for it. Um, they're already completely ruining the, the all-star race by sending it to Texas, of all places, and then changing the format up. And then, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but the horsepower is a, is a whole other ball game. And then might as well take qualifying away at this point. You know, you might as well yeah. just have them race backwards. I mean, I don't... I don't understand why they're doing it, but it, it doesn't surprise me. So, yeah, like we, we talked about the Super Speedway package um, uh, when this was announced. We talked about the format when this was announced. I don't I don't feel like we need to get right back into that, but I will I'll bounce off your point um, by saying why not put the cherry on top. Um, my question is going to be to you guys, and since you brought up the point, Colton, I'll start off with you. Is NASCAR trying to kill exhibition races? We've got the clash on a road course during the middle of the week, which doesn't make sense to me. I don't agree with either of those things. And then everything that you just said that's wrong with this all-star race, could it be they're trying to say we don't 
need exhibitions anymore, and we might have a 38 race schedule here in the next couple of years. Yeah, completely. Um, I mean, if you look at how the, the all-star races run in the clash, I think if you have a charter, you have to race regardless of if you want to or not. Um, so now you're forcing the Rick Wares, you're forcing the Starcoms to go out and send a car to Texas just to ride around in the open. You know, I mean, why are we doing that? If we're looking at saving costs, kill the exhibition races. The clash hasn't been what it has been for years. Um, the all-star race isn't near as cool as it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, th- I think we are moving in that direction. Um, I hope we aren't. I hope that we continue to build off of it and see the mistakes that we've made in the past, but it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me and I wouldn't be totally against it. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of these changes to the sport. Um, it's almost like a case of they tried too hard to fix, fix it after a couple bad also races in Charlotte. Um, it's almost like they're just throwing stuff at a wall and it sticks. That's just my base impression of the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know that it's working, and I have skepticism on how it's going to go. Um, with that being said, um, we'll move into um, the all-star picks. Now, I don't want to outright pick yet, um, but there is an open. There is a fan vote. Um, four guys are getting in, three from the open, each segment um, that is there, and then the fourth is going to be by the fan vote. Now, personally, I don't agree with the way the fan vote is. I think the fan vote winner should be announced prior to the open, and they just get to roll their car back to the garage, and they don't have to, you know, potentially wreck their shit before they um, go to the to the all-star race. Um, and then the next three guys are chosen by the open rather than the other way around. So um, I'll start off with Nathan. Uh, who are your three guys from the open and your fan vote winner? So who are the four guys Ooh, that are going man. to go into the show? Well, I think for the fan vote, I'm going to have to go Matt DiBenedetto for this one. Um, he's always kind of been really popular guy, and he's not locked into the show. So if he doesn't win one of the four segments, I could easily see him getting the benefit of the doubt with the fan vote. And then, ooh, man. Then the three. Um, there's a couple guys I have kind of outlined. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to end well or not because I didn't do any research prior to this. Um, I think Eric Jones is definitely a guy I could see winning a segment. Um, Bubba Wallace is another guy I could see winning a segment. Tyler Reddick. Um, and then Chris Busher is a fourth guy. So there's really four guys that stick out to me this year that have been really good. And I think one of those four is going to do it. Um, but in order of most to least likely, I'd probably say Tyler Reddick's most likely to win a segment, Bubba Wallace second most likely to win a segment, Chris Bush third, Eric Jones fourth. And then I'd probably throw Daniel Suarez in there as another guy that could easily get it done. So yeah, this is, I would toss it up between one of those four guys. This one's tough. I definitely think we see Reddick win a segment. Um, I think we see Jones win a segment. Um, the toss-up for the final win-in spot is going to be between Matt DiBenedetto, um, Daniel Suarez, and Chris Buescher for me. I don't think we see Bubba get a segment, but I do think Bubba's going to be the fan vote. Um, ah, that's, a, that's pretty like a swap almost for what I had. Yeah, so I think the last segment's going to be up in the air. I do think Buescher's going to get it, and I think uh, Bubba's going to get it on the vote. So Jones, uh, Reddick, 
who did I say? Busher and uh, Wallace. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to go pace. a little bit different. Um, so I'm going to go with guys that I think have pace at 550 trucks. I know this is a 510 horsepower race, but I feel like mile and a half speed is going to matter a lot here. And I'm going to go with a couple of RCR cars, um, and that's going to be the eight of Tyler Reddick and the track house entry with Daniel Suarez as winning stages in the open. Um, I'm going to say Chris Busher will be the other guy that wins a stage. And then like uh, Colton said, most likely Bubba Wallace will get in on the fan vote. Now, if a lot of people didn't participate in the fan vote, I don't think it's out of the question that Matt Benedetto or even Chase Briscoe could have won the fan vote. I'm not sure. I know they were both in the top five, but those are definitely my three guys that are going to race their way in. That's Busher. Um, Suarez and Reddick, and then it's either it's going to be a toss up between, uh, I think really Wallace and Benedetto, um, and and Briscoe could surprise us on the fan vote. Yeah, I think that those are good picks. Um, I mean NASCAR could completely just fabricate it too and say whoever they want is going to win the fan vote. Um, we saw that with Jesse Awuji a couple times already this year, where he won the fan vote to get into the i racing races. Um. I don't know of a single person other than random people on Twitter that voted for Jesse Awuji. I don't know 10 fans that could pronounce his last name right. So I could well, yeah. NASCAR fudge. Whoa. Okay. Uh, yeah. Either that or the whole of the U.S. military, especially the Navy branch. Um, oh, yeah. Voted. They're definitely in on it. Eh. Um, eh. I, I, I don't even know where the pro-invitational fan votes are. At least like, I can I go seen, to they, I've seen videos of Awuji sitting in a simulator with a bunch of soldiers behind him. So I'm like, they have to be in on it, man. And, well, yes and no. We, that's a completely different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's let's stop while we're ahead of yeah. ourselves. We don't want to piss too many to people off. Um, well, Nathan, it's all you. All right. Well, with that being said, it's time for our weekly picks. And I'm definitely starting to feel a little bit of pressure because I got 12 points and you two both are tied for 10. So. Oh, yeah. It's going to be buddy. tough. Yeah. Um, it looks like Colton had the win last week with Chase Elliott getting second place. Uh, Alex had Martin Truex. He got third. I had Kyle Busch. He got fifth. So we all finished pretty well, but none of us actually got a race winner. So I don't think any of us I'm thought gonna, Kyle Larson was going to win that race. Right. And honestly, I'm going to go first. And I never thought that a fifth place finish would be enough for the worst, the worst finish of the week. So right. uh, with that being said, I am kind of – kind of confused with this one because you you said it best um Kyle Larson's a big guy to beat um and he's also our races in the mile and a half Larson himself could have very nearly won multiple all-star races um if you go back to 2016 he was pretty close to winning against Joey Logano there um I don't remember if he got into the wall or he just he just ran up there himself but he's close so with that being said I'm actually not going to go with Kyle Larson. I'm going to go with William Byron. All that build-up for nothing, man. Yeah, really? <laughs> I got you there, didn't I? He built Kyle yeah. Larson the whole time. And then he, yeah, he see, goes and just hangs the right and, and picks, picks Byron. Yeah. Well, you know what? Just, Since you're going to leave the five open for me, you take William Byron. I'm going to take Kyle Larson, and I'm going to run with the money. I'm going to get my million dollars, and you'll never see me again. Man, you guys, I've got three in a row on you now. Picking last two straight weeks. I'm going to tell you right now who is going to win the all-star race. If he doesn't win it, he's going to finish second. 
Um, the most aggressive guy in NASCAR right now, especially on restarts, especially in the low horsepower package. Oh, Joey Logano is going to win this all-star race. He's the and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw up. Yep, Joey Logano. And we've seen him Bro. play the air games all the time. He's, mm. he's going to win this thing. Bro, he's yeah, been, we haven't seen that he since he's been last year. Half, you know, he hasn't had enough speed. And I'm just going with Hendrick Cars at this point. You know, I'm just like pick and choose Hendrick Cars. I'm going there. So I just figured I would throw a curveball with Byron in there because. Well, y'all can give me my two points next week. Okay. All right. So we'll I'm guessing. I'm guessing. We'll see on Sunday. You won't because no, you'll be Cole's asleep. Gonna win. Now I think about it. He's going to. Logano's going to run around 10th or 15th for most of the race like he does in a mile and a half. Get a late caution. Restart on the front row and just just pretty much defend his way to a top five. That's literally yep. what happens every yep. race. And now, come to think of it, I really don't want that to happen because that would mean I lose picks again. Well, guess what? Um, you're going to have a late race restart. You're going to have 10 laps to go in the last segment because this format is trash. They had a perfect format, right? They had the 15-lap segments. Um, inverting every other segment, and I don't know what the other stipulations are because there's just so much going on. And in the 30-lap green flag pick stop required segment, only green flag laps count all night. Good. And then they were like, eh, we know that the, the car is not going to put on a show unless we bunch them up. So let's do another 10-lap run. Um, so uh, you're going to have that 10-lap run. Um, that's all I can say. So good good luck to both of us, being that we picked Hendrick cars that are uh, seemingly better on long runs at these racetracks. We don't know what's going to happen. They're running the same aero package, but they're running the 510 horsepower. So I don't know. Uh, Toyota's kind of been more dominant at the speedways, it seems, this year. So maybe we just totally all lost the ball by not picking a Toyota. Um, I think Kyle Busch has that? definitely been the best mile-and-a-half Toyota this year. Yeah, and uh, with, with them being better with the Speedway Motors themselves, I mean, there's no telling what could happen. I guess we'll just have to find out uh, Sunday night. Uh, with that being said, it's been a damn good show this week. Thanks uh, for listening all the way to the end, as always. Um, we've got some good new stuff coming to you guys very soon. We'll be uh, announcing all that as soon as, as we finalize a lot of different stuff. Um, Colton, you got anything for us? Uh, I don't. I'm still trying to give away this Earnhardt Bear from last week. I'll just change the uh, code word. Um, Y'all can see it. Um, Red and white, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Bear. Still got the tags on it, little beanie baby. Um, If you tweet at me with the word 510 or the number, um, I will send you this bear. All right. Well, uh, that's at Cranmore Colton on Twitter. And, of course, as always, you can follow us or interact with us on Twitter at Podcast one That's a capital F, capital F, and a capital P. Tag a one on the end, and that's that's uh, our name on Twitter. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Well, we want to we wanna put some more of you guys out here for some fan spotlights in the future. Uh, I would love uh, for that to happen. Um, we'll hopefully get some live stuff going on. Uh, here shortly so that you can participate during our recording session, even if you don't want to chime in uh, with your face. Um, and we'll see what we got in store uh, later. But thanks for listening to this, uh, this far into the thing. Uh, fun night as always, guys. And uh, thanks for listening. All right. Bye.